I recently helped hundreds of people achieve more in a few months than they had the previous several years. And now I'm getting ready to open up another challenge where I want to help you do the same. Here is actually a short testimonial of someone who was in that challenge. This challenge was hands down the best thing I did all year. And I appreciate the time, energy, and heart that you put into it. My name is Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I'm an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of many books that have now sold millions of copies. Click the link down below and watch this free training where I will show you these frameworks on how you can achieve more in the next 90 days than you possibly have in the last five to 10 years. Click the link down below and watch the training before it goes away. Hello and welcome to the Be Your Future Self podcast. I'm Dr. Benjamin Hardy, author of Be Your Future Self Now. Be sure to visit futureself.com where you can get the one-page Future Self checklist as well as the full Future Self course and other amazing goodies. All of these are free at futureself.com. All you have to do is put your email in. You'll get an email with a bunch of amazing goodies, the one-page Future Self checklist, the full Future Self course, which will change your life, and other things such as the Peak State checklist and my ebook Slipstream Time Hacking, futureself.com. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode of the Be Your Future Self podcast. I'm going to share with you how your beliefs shape your identity and how your identity shapes your behaviors and ultimately the outcomes in your life. And I'm going to make this very simple. I'm going to break down two books, which are phenomenal. They're books that are really good, but they're just not like the super super popular ones like Think and Grow Rich or As a Man Thinketh or all those other like mainstream self-help books. These are kind of more niche books, but they are phenomenal at helping you rethink your beliefs about what's possible and about who you are. So I'm going to go into those two books in a second, but let me just break down a few like core concepts right now. First off, there's a model that says you go from thinking to feeling to knowing. And, and I think that that model is a really good way of explaining beliefs. Beliefs are essentially a thought that you've ascent, that you've gone from thinking to feeling, where you've started to put a lot of emotion and energy into it, eventually getting to a place of trust where you now go from feeling to knowing or essentially trusting or believing that that is truth. A, a belief is simply a thought that you believe is true and that you've put a lot of energy and emotion into. And, and that's really how you form beliefs, by the way, is you think about something, but then you put emotion in it. If you want to believe something positive, you put feelings of happiness, gratitude, but essentially, it goes from thinking to feeling to a place of knowing. And there are things that you used to know, which you now don't know. There are things which you used to believe, in other words, that you stopped believing. And as you progress through various levels of life, various beliefs ultimately become limiting. They become limiting in the context of they used to, they used to support what you were going through, or they used to support the view you had of reality. But then you reach a certain level where they started to become limiting because they stopped you from doing the next thing. They stopped you from going to where you wanted to go. And so they then became limiting based on where you're trying to go. And so then you've got to question your beliefs, which then allow, allow you to question what yourself. Once you start to question your beliefs, you actually start to question your identity. From a psychological standpoint, by the way, identity is your self-concept. It's how you define yourself, but it's also the beliefs and values to which you are firmly committed. In other words, your identity is what you're most committed to as a person. And your identity, in a large part, comes from your beliefs. So whatever you believe about yourself and about the world is going to shape what you commit yourself to, and then your commitment shapes your behavior. But in a minute, I'm going to show you how, how this process works, about how you have these hidden beliefs or assumptions which are shaping, which are actually becoming hidden commitments to you. They're commitments of your past self, which are stopping you from making the goals and commitments you want. Now, as an example, you may really want to get in shape. Uh, and really get really active, but you may have these beliefs that you're not the kind of person that can do that. And you have commitments about maybe you're the kind of person who loves eating sweets or all these things. And that leads you to eating a bunch of junk food or staying up late at night, which is in the opposite direction of the commitment you're trying to make, the goal you're trying to make. And so you have these hidden beliefs and then that leads to hidden commitments. And as those hidden commitments are things of your old self. Again, your identity is what you're most committed to. And so 
this is where people get really tripped up is that they're committed to old thoughts or old ways of being or old belief systems about themselves, their former self, which are getting in the way of their desired future self. So now let me go ahead and tell you just what these two books are. One of them is called Out of the Maze by Spencer Johnson. Spencer Johnson wrote a few very famous books, particularly Who Moved My Cheese? He also wrote a brilliant book called Peaks and Valleys. Peaks and Valleys is one of my favorite books. But the book Out of the Maze is a book that just came out not too long ago. Actually, it even came out after Spencer Johnson passed away. And that book is a follow-up to Who Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese is a parable-style book that just explains, it, it kind of shows little people in, in like a mouse maze looking for cheese. And once they found some cheese, they eventually started like relying on it, building their lives around it, and then just assumed that the cheese would always be there. And then the cheese went away one day. And one of the little people was like, we got to move on throughout the maze and find more cheese. Whereas the other person just was like, no, the cheese will come back and the other person wouldn't adapt. So Who Moved My Cheese is all about the idea that we as people, we, we get to the place where we rely on something so much. We start to put so much stock in something that we just think it's always going to be that way. They give an example of, for example, the the old movie rental company, Blockbuster. Blockbuster was a company where you could go into the store, literally, and rent cassette tape movies. And ultimately, the world changed. All of a sudden, like DVDs came out, and, and that led to Redbox, which ultimately led to now Netflix. And so ultimately, Blockbuster went out of business because, you know, the world changed and they didn't adapt with that. This new book, which is Out of the Mace, is phenomenal. One thing I love about Spencer Johnson's books is they're like an hour and a half long. They're so short. I can listen to the audiobook while I'm walking around my neighborhood in less than an hour. But I just want to share with you this because it's connecting very deeply with the second book, which I'm going to show, show you, which is called Immunity to Change by Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy, two um, just excellent psychologists of the last 50 years. So first off, you want to start to notice your beliefs. And again, a belief is a thought that you have put a lot of stock in that you assume to be true and which you have built your identity around. And, and so because of your because you believe it's true and you've continuously thought this thought, that's shaping your, your approach to life. It's shaping how you see yourself and then it shapes your process. It shapes your goals. And so one aspect of what's called psychological flexibility is to not believe everything you think. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to believe it's true. From a psychological flexibility standpoint, rather than viewing yourself as content, you actually want to view yourself as a context. You are a context which has thoughts and emotions in you, but just because there's a thought and emotion within you doesn't mean that's who you are. You may have a negative thought or a negative emotion or a feeling about someone or even just a, a, a thought about the world. But if you're the context, then you don't overly identify with those thoughts. Also, as you change the context, the meaning of the content changes. And so part of being flexible is just not overly identifying with every thought or feeling you have, but actually being an observer of those things and potentially questioning them. Let go of what isn't working. This is the concept of all progress starts by telling the truth. So look at your life right now and look at the results you're getting. Look at the energy you have. Look at what's happening. Are you just repeating old cycles? If what you're doing isn't helping you achieve your goal, then be honest about that. And in the next slide, I'm going to walk through the four-step process from the book Immunity to Change. And that really helps you to see this. But let go of what isn't working. This is just an obvious one, but it's very difficult for us to do because we have, there's a lot of psychological reasons why we hold on to old ways of being. Most of it actually comes from a concept called loss aversion. Loss aversion comes from a concept called prospect theory, which is a lot of the research from Dr. Daniel Kahneman. If you read his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, you'll get this. In simple terms, human beings truly do avoid loss and, and, and losses seem to hurt us more than perceived gains. 
So if you made a million dollars, that would feel really good. But if you lost that million dollars, that loss may feel way worse than the gain did. Because as people, when we when we gain something, we quickly want something new. Whereas when you lose something, it, it, we just we really hold on to that. Like in sports, for example, coaches often say that the losses hurt more than the the wins feel good. So because of that, because of loss aversion, and by the way, when people are thinking about their future, for example, if you're thinking about asking your boss for a raise or you're thinking about doing something you really want to do, you then start to project a lot of fears onto the future and you start to create worst case scenarios. Again, loss aversion. You start to think about what you're going to lose by by going forth with what you want. And what what the research has shown is, is that we typically inflate those fears or the or the perceived loss, potential losses, by at least 2x, in, in other words, double or even up to seven times the reality. This is us catastrophizing and and creating all sorts of dread and, and fear. And so this is why they say imagination is, is more powerful than knowledge, because in a bad way, you may imagine all the all the worst case scenarios that are going to happen, but then the reality goes and it's it's often never as good or as bad as you think, because we, we, we inflate things enormously in our mind. So as an example, you may want to ask your boss for a raise and you might start coming up with all of these fears, or you might want to go out and start a business, or you might want to do X, Y, and Z, but you'll start to project all of these potential losses. And so what loss aversion leads to are a few different concepts within loss aversion. One of them is called sunk cost fallacy. And the sunk cost fallacy is essentially that you've invested in something already to a point. And even though you now know that that thing is no longer useful to you, no longer profitable, no longer valuable, you will continue to pour resources in that. Could be a relationship. It could be as simple as you're, you start a movie and you invested 20 minutes into watching it. And so even though you know it's, you know, you, at this point, you believe it's a not useful movie, you may just watch it to the end because you invested that 20 minutes in and you don't want to lose that 20 minutes, right? And so loss aversion leads to a concept called sunk cost bias where you just, because you're already invested in this thing, this relationship, this job, this path, you're just going to keep pouring more and more into it in the future, which essentially is what they would call throwing good money after bad. Another way that loss aversion manifests itself is in what's called the consistency principle. Because you, because as people, we want to be viewed as consistent. We want our, our beliefs our identity and our behaviors to align, typically we won't make changes because we want to be viewed as consistent not only to ourselves, but to other people. And so that leads us to being consistent with our past rather than being consistent with our desired future. Because if you're going to be consistent with your desired future, that means you're going to change a lot, which will lead you to not being viewed as consistent by yourself and others, which as people from for one reason or another, we want to be viewed as consistent. A lot of work by Dr. Robert Cialdini in the book Persuasion on that concept. So I'm going to go back to the slide. I'm going to break this down. And I'm going to quickly go to the immunity to change slide and finish this up. By the way, if you enjoy these types of videos, please like, please subscribe, please share this. Looking outside the, the maze. So the the idea is just that you are living in a in a in your own little world. I love the quote from Stephen R. Covey. He said, We don't see the world as it is, but as we are. And so in this book, it is an invitation to actually realize that what you thought was real isn't just what's real. This is kind of the idea that maybe you're in the matrix, right? And so these were little people that were in a maze and they thought that the maze was the world, but they, they didn't realize that there was actually a whole world outside the maze and that they'd actually been living a very small sheltered life and that there was a lot out there that they didn't realize with lots of enormous potential and stuff. It's an invitation to step back a little bit. Um, this, is, this goes a little bit more into Robert Keegan's work about rather than assuming that everything you think about life is true, just realize it's just your subjective perspective. Again, back to the Stephen Covey quote, you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as you are or as you've been conditioned to see it. And so the more mature you get and the more mentally developed you get and emotionally developed because it takes a mental and emotional development to step outside and to rather than being so attached to your view, 
step outside and say, maybe this is just a view. We all kind of see through lenses or through a filter. And so when you become more mentally and emotionally developed, you can step outside your filter and start to examine your filter and start to look at what are what are other options or potentials out there that I'm not even not even seeing because I'm so caught up in this view. There's another great concept on this called selective attention. I love the quote from Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan says, your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is looking for. And so selective attention just means that you see what you believe. William James, who is the father of American psychology, said that there's millions of things going on in the outside world that I don't notice. And why don't I notice them? He said, because they don't matter to me. He said, my life is what I choose to pay attention to. And so right now you're paying attention to something. You're putting all your thoughts and energy. You're selectively seeing and focusing on something. There are a lot of things out there that you're completely blind to that, and they actually call that inattentional blindness. We're inattentionally blind to so many things going on because we're so focused on what we're doing. There's actually a a great old commercial that was made a long time ago of a bunch of people passing a basketball around. And what psychology professors or people would have you do is they would count how many times the ball got passed. And while that was happening, there was like this crazy man in like a, a bear suit or something dancing around. If you're just focused on counting the ball, you actually don't even notice that there's like this crazy event that happens. And then the guy leaves, you know, after people do the, do the, like basically do the experiment or whatever, the professor says, so did any of you guys see the man in the bear suit who can, and I don't remember if it's bear and whatnot, but the man in the suit who was dancing and stuff and people are like, no. <laughs> and so they rewatch it and they realize something really big and pivotal happened that they didn't even realize it was there. I'm going to make this super practical though. You have a lot of beliefs about yourself and about the world that are, are, are leading you down a narrow path and leading you to making commitments about what you're doing with your life, whether that's in your health, your relationships, and your beliefs can become very limiting if they lead you first off to having a very small identity. Uh, and your identity is how you define yourself and what you commit yourself to as a person. And it leads to actions and behaviors. And so a better approach is to think about something you want in your life, something you truly want and value, and to think about what are the beliefs that will help you to get there, and then to actually play with those beliefs, like actually test those beliefs. Um, believe that you are someone who who could be really you know, successful or wealthy or have a great, beautiful relationship, and just actually affirm it. One of my favorite quotes is, assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled. This is from Neville Goddard. And so not only do you want to think a, a new thought, but then you want to associate positive feeling and emotion towards that. Positive emotion... Actually, you can know when something starts to become a belief when you've neutralized the emotion or you've brought you've brought such positive emotion that it doesn't feel so impossible to you. In a lot of ways, people won't entertain thoughts that they think are uh, are impossible because they're not believable, right? And so if you start to think thoughts that you want and start to feel positive emotions towards those, even gratitude and appreciation and, and starting to think, yeah, this this could be true, then it, then you can start to formulate new beliefs. And, and ultimately, again, a, a belief is a thought that you've repeated over and over such that you've put a lot of emotion into it that you now put trust in it and that you believe it. So question number, phase number one is just question the belief. So let me go ahead and just go to the, to the Robert Keegan model. This is a, a beautiful model. It's a four-step process. And again, this comes from the book Immunity Did Change. And this is just an example of someone. This is, I think this example is someone who is trying to become a better leader. And so this is a commitment that they want to make, you know, and so in this column, and you can just do this in your journal, column number one is a commitment you want to make. It could be, for example, that you want to lose weight or something. In this case, they want to be better at focusing on a few critical things, and this would lead to delegating, um, et cetera. And then, so whatever commitment you want to make, again, you can put losing weight, you could put making a million dollars, you could put writing a book, you could put running a marathon, you could put whatever it is, whatever the commitment is you want to make. And then you list the things you're doing or not doing instead. 
So these are all of the counterproductive behaviors or non-behaviors you're doing that are leading you the exact opposite way. So in this case, I let new opportunities distract me, adding it to my list. I accept more tasks and sacrifice work-related things. I don't consistently balance time. Basically, this is this is the conscious, and this is all progress starts by telling the truth. You have this goal. For example, I want to I wanna have 10% body fat, but then you look at your behavior. However, I'm not exercising and I'm eating all sorts of junk food, especially late at night. And so this is just observing what you're doing or not doing and just being really honest about that. And then this is where the more of the subconscious stuff is. This is hidden commitments that you have, which are in direct opposition to this. And these hidden commitments are a lot deeper grooved, which are leading to these behaviors. So I fear missing out on a great opportunity. So this is like, this is just a hidden commitment. I'm committed to being independent and capable, right? So this is some part of this identity, right? Um, I'm committed to being selfless. And so because this person is selfless, they don't want to delegate, right? And so they take on more tasks than they should. And then there's assumptions, big assumptions or beliefs that drive, I guess you could say, these commitments or identities. So if I'm if I'm dependent on others and I'm unable to do many things well, I will lose self-respect. If I put myself first, I'll become what I dislike in others, superficial and trivial. So essentially, it's just the idea. And you can do this with anything. Put any goal you have here, any dream. And I actually challenge you to put a dream here that you you currently define as impossible, something that you define as truly impossible. And, and, and it, but it's something you really want, but maybe you haven't entertained it very much because you think it's impossible, right? Actually put it there and look at what are you doing or not doing that's the opposite of this goal and what are potentially the hidden commitments that are driving the behavior? Because your, your behavior is being driven by commitments you've made, which are your identity, which are being driven by your beliefs. And so, in, and I, I challenge you to go back, like rewind, pause it, and do this in your own journal. I've started to do this process where I've written the four columns about various goals I want, uh, whether it's being in a certain place with my family, right? So as an example, my family, I have six kids. We adopted three from the foster system. Amazing kids. And and I may have beliefs about those kids, which would lead to a fixed mindset, which would lead me to treating them a certain way, right? Or I could believe that we have a completely healthy, harmonious home, right? And And so it's just really powerful to choose your beliefs differently. And in order to get to a different place, you have to believe something differently. You can't you can't transform your identity and your behavior without also transforming your beliefs. They go hand in hand. You go from thinking to feeling to knowing. One thing you could obviously do is look at your current goal and the behaviors that you're doing that are the opposite of the goal and think back on what are the hidden commitments I have that I formulated in the past, which are driving the behaviors that are ultimately taking me the opposite way of my goal. And maybe what are the belief systems or the assumptions or beliefs or you know, deeply held thoughts or beliefs I've had that are sh- that shaped my hidden commitments, that shaped my fa- my past self. You have a former self, you have a current self, and you have a future self. One of the things I like about what Joe Dispenza has taught is he said you can either have a past-present orientation, and a past-present orientation is where you're letting the past dictate who you're being in the present, which is very typical. Um, or you can have a future-present orientation where you're letting your desired future self dictate who you're being in the present. And you want your future self to drive who you're being in the present because that's more of an intentional approach to life. The other way would be a habitual approach to life where you're you're living out of habit and you're living out of who you've been in the past and based on past assumptions and things like that. It is not as difficult to change your beliefs or to even examine your beliefs as you think. A belief is simply a thought that you've repeated and then you've attached emotion to and put trust in such that you actually think it's truth. And you can start to question that and you can start to question, is is this actually true? And And why did I choose to put so much stock in this? And I actually challenge you to to re-examine the beliefs you have about yourself and about the world. 
Albert Einstein said that one of the most important decisions you're going to make is whether or not you believe that you live in a, a safe world or a hostile world. Your beliefs about the outside world shape what you commit yourself to, they shape your identity, they shape how you approach life, which ultimately shapes the path you go down. And I challenge you when you're setting goals to set highly, what would seem impossible goals. Let me give an example. These are all books that I have written in the past, not that long. Um, this is the new one that comes out this year, which is amazing. And one of the things I learned while writing this book, 10x is easier than 2x. And I, it, it took me down an amazing rabbit hole of studying decision-making and things like that, constraint theory, is that having seemingly impossible goals is actually more practical than having what you believe to be possible goals. In other words, going for 2x, 2x is linear. It's about taking where you're at right now and just doing more of it. In other words, 2x is a past-present orientation where you're taking the past and ultimately doing more of it. It's linear. Whereas 10x is embracing a seemingly impossible future something that seems impossible to you right now. But why impossible goals? And a lot of this I learned from Dr. Alan Bernard. Seemingly impossible goals are, are more practical than possible goals. In other words, 10x goals are more practical than 2x goals is because 10x goals help you identify all of the things in your life right now that are limiting. They help you identify, for example, the 80 and the 20. 80-20 principle says that 80% of what you're doing is producing very little of your results. There's only a few things you're doing, the little 20% that are creating almost everything you're doing. And so the eight, the having seemingly impossible goals helps you to identify false assumptions. It, it helps you identify false assumptions because you believe that that goal is impossible. And so it's you're not even entertaining it, right? So you have assumptions about that thing not being possible. But big goals also help you identify the 80% because if you're going for just 2x or if you're going for like marginal change, you don't really have to change that 80% of things in your life that aren't really valuable. Whereas if you're going for 10x, almost nothing will get you there. And so it forces you to be a lot more honest that almost everything you're doing right now is a waste of time. And so I challenge you to set much higher goals, goals that you think are impossible, and then to drill backwards and question the beliefs you have about why you think that's impossible. And also it pulls you out of your current approach because your current approach won't get you to an impossible goal. Your current approach can get you to double what you're doing now. But to go 10x or 100x or to go in some totally different place, you have to break down the beliefs that right now are holding you back, which would be radically limiting, which would lead you to a smaller identity. Having an impossible goal. So in quadrant one, for example, on that immunity to change thing, quadrant one is the commitment you want to make. I challenge you to have a goal that you believe to be impossible, but which you would love to have, which you would want. And then look at your behavior, honestly, and what are the behaviors right now that are clearly in opposition to that goal? And what are the hidden commitments you've made that are your identity now? And it could be, for example, you know, I always work hard. That might be a hidden commitment which might actually stop you from delegating if you want to be a leader, right? Not that leaders don't work hard, but that belief that I, I outwork everyone, that's a hidden commitment that's, that's based on some false, you know, some, some former thought that you've put a lot of stock into, which now may be limiting you. And I know a lot of people, by the way, who are very successful, who have developed beliefs and then ultimately commitments. And commitments and standards are the same thing, by the way. But they developed commitments which have now reached a glass ceiling, which are now stopping them from from going 10x again or from doing something amazing again. And what got you here won't get you there. And so when you're trying on a new belief, you can just think it. Again, it's just a thought that you've started to put trust in. Emotion and then you know belief in, essentially. It's a thought that you believe, that you, that you accept as truth, which now becomes a part of your identity. And so think of a belief that you want to believe, a belief that supports where you're going, and start to really feel that. Have gratitude for that. Feel good about it. And trust it. Trust it. And let it inform who you are. And then look in the mirror and say, this is true about me. This is true. So I hope that helps. You absolutely can change your beliefs. Check out the books. 
out of the maze and immunity to change. And I challenge you to rewind this and, and do the four-step model for yourself. Choose a goal that you believe to be impossible. Look at your behavior honestly, all the behavior that conflicts with that goal, and think of the hidden commitments that you have, hidden commitments being part of your identity that would contradict the impossible goal you want. And then think about the beliefs you have that are broad about life, which maybe have shaped those hidden commitments. Changing your beliefs is a powerful thing. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. And, and even just this morning, uh, I accepted and changed some beliefs that I had that I know have been limiting me. And I'm really excited about my future self. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Your Future Self podcast. I'm Dr. Benjamin Hardy, author of Be Your Future Self Now. Be sure to go to futureself.com, put your email in and get immediate access to all the goodies. The one page future self cheat sheet, which I recommend you print and put somewhere close by so that you can reference it. The full future self course and other goodies such as my peak state checklist, which has been downloaded almost a million times and my ebook slipstream time hacking. Go to futureself.com, get those free goodies. And until next time, be your future self now. Talk to you soon.